Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. So now we're going to jump into James chapter 5. Um, this is part nine of our series called Steadfast. And we've covered a lot of ground in this series. I mean, James just packs a lot in to what really is a fairly short letter. Um, and so the, the kind of overall theme of this has been um, that we are called to be steadfast, to endure in all seasons of life throughout our walk with the Lord. And as we learn to be steadfast and endure, we grow into maturity. That's what this letter is about, becoming mature believers. Uh, James uses a word that, we've, that gets translated perfect. It doesn't literally mean without fault. It, it means grown up, mature, complete, whole. And that is possible by the grace of God. Like we're not called to be perfect people, but we are called to grow in our walk with him and into maturity. And so we've covered all kinds of ground. We've talked about the importance of not only hearing God's word, but putting it into practice in our lives. That's how we mature. We've talked about his law of love. Like we need to be anchored in love. We've talked about having a living, active faith that's not just mental agreement, but my life aligns with who God is and what he says. And so I have an active, living faith. We've talked about the power of our words, the danger of having a divided heart, where like I'm kind of halfway following him versus all in. We've talked about the importance of being peacemakers in our relationships and in the world around us. And then finally, last week, James started what I would call really a two-part warning. And so part one was last week, and it was really a warning that we should slow down and pause and consider how do we manage our lives? How are we spending our time? Do we do it aimlessly? Do we do it selfishly? Or, or are we really rooted and grounded in him? And so the way we manage our time is in light of who God is and what he's calling us to. And so now we're jumping into that topic that everyone loves to talk about at church on a Sunday, and that is the topic of how we use our finances our money. And so James got after our time last Sunday, and now this morning he's after our finances. Don't you love it when the preacher is going to talk about money? Yeah, see how excited y'all are? I can feel it already. Um, Maybe we ought to have the Lord come help us with this. Y'all think so? So let's invite him one more time to guide us into this. And so, Lord, thank you for your heart for us in all things. And Lord, thank you that the way that we um, aim our lives in regards to pursuing money, managing money, spending money, Lord, that it's just a larger, it's a reflection of the larger reality of how we view you, how we follow you, how we trust you. And so God, would you give us your heart, heart on our finances this morning? Lord, if there's areas in our lives where um, you just wanna encourage us, like hang in there, you're on the right track, keep at it. Lord, I pray we would receive that encouragement. Lord, if there was ways we've just, we've gotten off track or we're missing it. Lord, we we pray against any sense of like guilt or condemnation. But Lord, we do thank you that when your Holy Spirit is prompting us, um, that you will confront us with truth in love. That we may be healed, 
Lord, that we can be corrected. And so it's always in hope and for our good. And so if we need to hear some correction, may we hear it properly from you. No guilt, no shame, but just your invitation to finding wholeness and maturity in the area of our finances. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, this morning, my three main points are actually questions. They're questions that I want to encourage you not only to ponder during this, you know, 30 minutes or so that we're together this morning, but like last week, I want to encourage you to ponder them just beyond sitting here this morning. Like spend time with the Lord and invite him to really talk to you about this area of your finances and where you're at with him. And so three big questions that we're going to start with. Question number one, who's the boss? Who's the boss? That's question number one. So before we get into James 5, I just want to remind us that James actually introduced this topic right at the beginning of his letter. And so all the way back in part one, we briefly touched on this. And so James is going to hearken back to that and build on it with some pretty strong words in chapter five. So hearkening back to chapter one, this was one of four key warnings that James gave us in chapter one about challenges that we will face. All right, this was one of four warnings. This is James chapter one, verses nine through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so to anchor us in that passage, James had already warned us about trials and about doubts. And now he's saying, hey, maybe you've kind of made it through trials and doubts. The enemy hasn't ripped you off in that way. Well, then what he'd love to do is distract you with other pursuits, with the cares and circumstances of this life, with aims that are opposite of what God's aims are. And so he warns us and he uses, um, it's, it's a warning about like the flowers dying and the grass withering, but it's kind of some beautiful imagery, even in the midst of like this warning that nothing really lasts. Well, he's gonna go from moving, um, from using beautiful imagery to using some like in your face imagery now in chapter five. And so are you buckled in? You ready? If you've already read ahead, you're like, oh, I know what's coming. All right, James chapter five, verses one and three now. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Oh, thank you, James, for this beautiful encouragement this morning. No, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Verse two, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. So instead of just the flowers fading and the grass withering, now we're talking about our flesh getting consumed by fire. He's using some strong language here, isn't he? Where am I at? I lost track. Here we go. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Now, James is repeating a phrase that he used last week in chapter four, at the very end of chapter four, where he says these words, come now. 
It's an invitation to pause and consider. It's strong wording to say, hey, stop. Slow down and really consider what are you treasuring on? What are you trusting in? What is of utmost importance and value to you? And is it really the thing you ought to be trusting in? And he says loud and clear, it will not last. What we're leaning on, what we're trusting in, it won't last. Listen to the, the, the descriptions here. It evokes imagery, all of it, of death and decay. Like, first of all, his invitation is to weep and howl. He's using terminology that you would use describing what's happening at a funeral. Like, this is language of, like, mourning at death. Weep and howl. Then he uses imagery like rotted wealth and moth-eaten garments, like something that is all worn out and used up. In fact, he even goes to something that we would consider as really solid that we can count on, like gold and silver, and he's saying it's corroded, it's rusted. Even this metal that we think could stand the test of time, it's going to wear out. And then finally, even your very bodies are gonna decay. And so it's, it's strong language. But what he's saying is, friends, when we aim our life at something, we need to think about the true long-term results. And, you know, the interesting thing, I mean, he's calling out the rich here. Many who've, who've spent time, like, aiming, aiming and acquiring wealth, like, we do think long-term. You know, we're thinking about saving for the future. We're thinking about where am I going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. James is just saying, hey, don't stop there. Play it out all the way to the very end. Where are you going to be at the very end of your life when those riches don't matter anymore? Where your home and your clothing and even this body doesn't matter. Consider the full end. Go all the way to where this leads and consider what is your life aiming at? What are you relying on? Treasure is about that. What am I aiming at? What am I pursuing and what am I relying on, counting on to sustain me, to care for me? And so that's his invitation. Consider this. And he's saying our wealth, if we're hoping in that, it will not last. In the end, it comes to nothing. Now, as we've mentioned throughout the series, James is often echoing things that we hear Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount. And so there's no difference here. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6 Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he goes after this same issue. And he uses even a lot of the same wording. Matthew 6, 19 now. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. He's using like the same words. And then he adds where thieves break in and steal. So notice not only does Jesus use this same imagery of moth and rust, like saying, hey, at the end of everything, it's not going to really last eternally. He also says, hey, even in the midst of your life, this thing that you're relying upon, it can be stolen from you. If that wasn't clear to us already, just look at what's happened this last week in the banking realm. It can be gone like that. Or thieves can break in and steal. It just, it all crumbled apart. There was an illusion behind all of that. It fell apart. And listen, like, thankfully, things seem to have kind of stabilized. But it, it ought to show us that we cannot rely upon the wealth and the security 
of anything that this world has to offer. We can't rely upon it. That's the issue he's getting at. Are we relying on it? He's not inherently saying like, it's wrong to have money or wealth. It's, it's about my mindset. What's my focus and aim? What am I relying upon for security? Because not only will it amount to nothing at the end of my life, but it can be gone in an instant right in the middle of my life. And so beware. Now, Jesus offers an alternative as a solution. He continues on, verses 20 and 21. Instead of laying up treasures on earth, he says in verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James is saying the only source of true lasting treasure is to be found in our God who is eternal. We treasure him and the things of his kingdom that last. And so he's saying, consider where does your treasure lie? So really simple question this morning. If my, my introductory question here is, who's the boss? Who's the boss? What am I relying on? Who's in charge? And so how can I know where my treasure lies? Because the truth is, if you're a believer in this room this morning, you're, you've probably already thought, like, I, I think I'm in the right place here. Like, I've given my heart to Christ. I'm relying upon him. And, and so there are times maybe where we know for sure, man, I'm not, a, I'm not living like that. But there's also times where maybe we think we are and we're not, where we, we've had some blindness, we've had some self-deception. And so Jesus actually continues and he gives us a way to figure out what I'm treasuring. Matthew 6 now, verses 22 and 23, the very next verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What is he saying? Friends, what has my eyes has my heart. Where I'm looking, where I'm aiming, that's a reflection of where my heart really what am I thinking about? What consumes kind of my vision? It's not just like literally what are my eyeballs looking at? What consumes my vision? When I think about security, do I think about my financial stability or do I think about the security that I have in God no matter what my circumstances are? When I'm thinking about how to pursue or what to pursue with my time and my energy, what is that? What holds my eyes, it reflects where my heart is. In other words, how I see money gives me an idea of what's most important to me. How do I see money? Because if I can identify how I see money, then I can answer the question, who's the boss? Who's really in charge? How do I see money? Verse 24 summarizes this whole thought. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What I treasure will reveal who is the real master in my life. Where do I find safety? Where do I find security? 
Where do I find purpose? Like, what am I working towards? And why am I working towards it? And what am I relying upon to get there? Because it can change in an instant. You know, am I, am I relying upon my wisdom, my good judgment, my ability to go make it in the world? Man, our bodies are gonna decay and that can happen in a moment. Am I relying upon like the financial institutions and the structures of this, of this country even? That can be gone in a moment. How do I see money? What am I pursuing? Where's my aim? That will tell me what I treasure and that will tell me who's the boss. That will tell me who's the boss. So I wanna give you some application. I wanna get practical with these next two questions because I think these next two questions can give us some insight and then they can set us on the right track. So what we need is, what James is, is warning us about, what Jesus is inviting us to is that we need to have a kingdom mindset when it comes to acquiring money and spending money. I need to have a kingdom mindset when it comes to acquiring money and spending money. Like, how do I even view myself? Am I the sole provider? Am I the king of my life? Am I using money to like establish that sense of control and security? Or is he the king of my life? Is he the boss? Is, is the money that I have mine or his? Who's the boss? What the scripture teaches us in all circumstances is that we are not the kings of our lives. If we're in Christ, I've died to myself and I'm alive to Christ. Who's the king now if I've given my life to him? Jesus. So I am now a steward. I'm a steward of what belongs to him. My life belongs to him. My family belongs to him. My children belong to him. My time belongs to him, like we talked about last week. Friends, our finances belong to him. And so is that truly how I see my finances, that they are his? Is that how I see it? And so two, two questions that we can look at to make sure we're aligning to that is, number one, how do I acquire money? It's our second question this morning. How do I acquire money? It will help me align with keeping things in the right place. So James 5, verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So he goes beyond just this very kind of rich, powerful, like, discouraging imagery, right, of just a general call to consider what you're relying on. And now he's pointing to a specific issue. The way you have treated people in acquiring your finances is wrong. That's what he's saying. It's wrong. You've acquired it by fraud. Now, hopefully, for many of us, maybe all of us, that's not an issue. Hopefully, we haven't acquired our finances through fraud, through mistreating others. But I wanna give you like a grid to think about. How does this apply to us? Consider how you're acquiring your money. First of all, how do you earn it? Do you earn it honestly? And are you being honorable in the way you treat others? Like even think about like at your job, 
You know, you might be in a really competitive environment. You might even feel like at times you're competing against other employees within your company. How do you treat them? How do you view that? How do you treat your boss that you work for? Are you mad at him all the time? Are you talking bad about him behind his back? Are you him, her, whoever your boss may be? How, how do you treat them? Are you giving your best? Like, are you working hard? Are you just getting by? Like, think about how you acquire the finances you have. Are you being an honorable person in how you acquire the money that you make? How do you earn it? How are you treating others along the way? How are you treating, if you're in sales, you know, how are you treating the people that you're selling to? Are you backing up what you say? How are we treating people? How do we treat the employees in our lives? Here's one that I think is important to consider. For many of us, we're like, man, I am out there working hard and I am doing it honestly and honorably. And I, like, I give my life to like, working hard and providing. That's, that's wonderful. Consider how you're treating people outside of work. How are you treating your family? Do you have a healthy work-family balance? In providing for your kids, do they not even really know who you are because you're not around? Consider how we approach this. How we treat people. People are eternal. Like not only is God in heaven eternal, and so I need to honor him with my finances, but where money will run out, people, the other people I'm around all day long, my coworkers, my family members, my neighbors, they're eternal too. They are more valuable than the money I'm working to acquire. What sort of person am I in my work? Is this making sense? We're really quiet this morning. Lot to chew on, absolutely. And that's, that's what James is calling us to do, right? Chew on it. The reason he's being so hard is because he wants to stop us in our tracks. Sometimes it's easy just to hear what we wanna hear. I think I'm doing pretty good at this and keep moving on. And, and I don't wanna heap anything on you that you don't need to own. I just, just wanna say James is ca calling us to slow down and consider reality. How am I acquiring money. Jesus tells a story, and, and I think this is important. Well, well, we see an encounter that he has, and then he tells a story. And I think it's important because it, it gets at something that we need to say, like right here. Because when we, when we talk about money and warnings to the rich, there's a couple things that happen. One, for many of us, we're going, well, I'm not rich, so this, this ain't at me. That's not a problem. <laughs> That's one potential problem, all right? And I just want to encourage you, A, in the context of the world that we live in, the very fact that you're sitting here in the United States of America, you're richer than you think you are. We are rich. But the other thing I would say is that when Jesus talks about money, he's not just talking about those who have a lot of it. He's talking about our mindset behind it. And so I want you to see this encounter from Luke chapter 12. It's verse 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd yells out to Jesus and says to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
See, whether rich or poor, when I'm going about acquiring money, what's the mindset behind it? If I have a little, am I frustrated and jealous about those who seem to have a lot? Am I so busy looking at what's around me and never feeling contentment with what I have? Like, is that my aim? See, whether I have a lot or a little, we do that. Those that have plenty, they're still looking around at those who have a little bit more that seem to have a little bit more security. What is my mindset and how I'm acquiring it? Am I just so busy looking around at my neighbors and what other people seem to have that I'm comparing with others? And so now the very aim of how I pursue money is out of covetousness. Or when I look at my bank account and it's light and it's lacking, what does that produce in me? Does that produce faith and trust in the Lord or does it produce Anger, discouragement. Why do they got da, 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 da? I'm a hard worker. I'm faithful. I'm responsible. They just fall into things. What, blah, blah, blah. What is my attitude and my mindset when it comes to acquiring money, working? And Jesus tells this parable. Verse 16. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produces plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Friends, we're not acquiring wealth for ourselves, or we shouldn't be. If he's the king and I'm a steward, then I'm acquiring it for him and for his purposes. And so whether I have a lot or I have a little, it's his. And so I should acquire it with the mindset of like, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna work hard for this small paycheck that I'm getting. But I'm gonna give it my best. And I'm gonna treat people well. And then Lord, in a minute, we're gonna get to how we spend it. I'm gonna honor you with it and how I use it. But Lord, I am not working to keep up with the Joneses. I'm not working to just make sure I can coast in my latter years. Lord, I am working for you. And I'm working to steward well those that are in my care. Like I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard to provide for our family. Absolutely. But even that family, they're not mine, they're his. And he's given me a level of stewardship and responsibility to care for what he's given me. Are we hearing this? Yeah. Listen, I know this is confronting, but here's the deal. When the Lord confronts us, it's because he's inviting us into something good. It's also freeing. It's freeing to say, I'm relying on him. Not my ability to do it, to earn it. Not my ability to be brilliant with it. I'm not relying on this for security. God, I'm trusting you. And so I can do what is set before me. I can do the work that is set before me. And I can learn to be content with the lot you've given me here. 
How do we acquire finances? What's our aim? How do we view it? Last question this morning. How do I spend, or you could write manage, my money? How do I spend it? Once I've got it, how do I spend it? How do I manage it? James goes after this as well now in verse 5 and 6. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Whoa, James, bro. (laughs) I mean, it's like just punch after punch this morning, right? Man, let's tackle verse five first. Talk about how we're spending our money. He says, you've lived in luxury and self-indulgence. Again, this isn't about how much you have, although there are huge warnings in the scripture that the more we have, the more susceptible we are to using it wrongly. There are a lot of warnings. Thank goodness Jesus didn't say it's impossible for a rich man to get to heaven, but he he did say it's really difficult. And in fact, the, the words he used to describe how difficult it was, when the disciples heard it, they said, that's impossible. And Jesus says, nothing's impossible with God. So whether we have a lot or we have a little, it's not about how much I have, it's how do I use it? How do I use it? What am I doing with it? And then verse six, man, it's just harsh. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I I wanna bring you back to, because I think James is just restating in a really strong language what he just said in the previous section about time. And that's, so I wanna go back to James 4, 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's a sin. If I know the right thing to do, if I know how God's calling me to handle my money, am I using it properly? Or am I missing the mark? Am I missing the boat on what he's calling me to? And so the idea here is that I need to follow his principles for the use of my finances and money. I need to follow his principles, how he calls me to use it, to spend it. So I want to give you a couple of examples here. Jesus spoke in a lot of different ways on finances. We've already looked at a couple. Um, But there's two passages here where he connects this life and judgment coming, coming before the throne, right? Entering into eternity. This life and eternity and how we're spending or using our money. And so in Matthew 25, he says these words. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the people listening then go on in the passage and say, when did we do that for you? We never saw you in those conditions. And then Jesus said in verse 40, the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. How we're using the resources he's given us to care for others, that's what he's asking us to consider. Now this is broad, right? It's like, well, every stranger, every person in need, like do I just, is it just like an unlimited, I just give it all away? Like how do I, how do I sort this out? I want to point you to another story that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus because I think it gives us some understanding on how we can sort this out. 
This is now Luke 16, verses 19 and 22. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. I mean, this is the description of what James said, right? You were in luxury and self-indulgence, and yet you've murdered your brother is what he said. So here's this rich man, fine clothes, linen, feasted sumptuously every day. Verse 20, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And the story goes on to describe the rich man now as the one who's in lack. He's the one in want and in torment. Because he didn't aim for God's kingdom. He aimed for his own self-indulgence. Whereas Lazarus found comfort. But I want to highlight something specific to you here. It's, It's just a simple little phrase. He said, at his gate laid a poor man. God's not calling us to solve like everything we see all over the world. We could never do that. That's why he's the king and I'm just a steward of like my area of influence and responsibility. The question is, who's at my gate? Like what are the opportunities right in front of me that God is calling me to steward well? Who's at my gate? Who's right here? And so I want to wrap this up. I want to close by giving you some really practical application. Now, this is not meant to be comprehensive as it relates to managing money. But as you wrestle through these three questions, who's the boss? How am I acquiring money? How am I spending money? As you ponder those three questions, I want to give you four basic biblical principles for managing money. All right, number one, we've already said it throughout, so I'm not going to harp on it, but it just, it needs to be said because it's the anchor point. It's stewardship. Stewardship is the biblical principle. I don't own my life, my relationships, my money, or my stuff. It's all his. So how does he want me to spend it? Stewardship. Number two, generosity. The king who all my stuff belongs to is generous. And he wants me to be generous with what he's given me. And so generosity. So there's ways he anchors us in that. One practical way is he tells us, like, hey, all of your money belongs to me. I want you to give me 10% of it. That's mine. Why does that matter to him? Because it's easy for me to walk around going, all my money belongs to him. But like, cool, awesome. Let's get out the checkbook or the bank account. Is that reflected in the 100% you got coming in? He says, this is a tangible, specific discipline in your life that will remind you of the larger reality that the whole 100% is mine. I want you to set that 10% aside and don't touch it. Give it to me. And here's what's interesting about giving a tithe. I don't get to decide what happens with it. Someone else does. I give up that responsibility by just giving it where he said to give it. He told me it belongs to him, belongs to the church. I'm giving it up. And he's going to figure out where that 10% goes. And what that does, it builds a principle in my mind for all of it. I don't get to decide where that 10% goes. I really don't get to decide where the other 90 goes. It's all his. And so I, I establish myself in letting him be Lord of my life by approaching all of my money through the mindset of what does he want me to do with this? It anchors us in that. And he wants us to be generous. 
Number three, a third key principle is responsibility. Responsibility. So I'm called to not be lazy, right? I work. If I don't work, I don't eat, the scripture teaches. Um, I'm called to save for winter. I'm not necessarily you know, saving up because I'm completely relying upon and counting on that, but he does say have some wisdom with your finances. I save. And then I use my resources to care for those I'm responsible for. I care for those I'm responsible for. So I use them like that. Listen, you wanna know about how to be responsible with your finances? Read the Proverbs. 31 of them. Most months, there's 31 days. Just get in that rhythm. Soak up the wisdom of the Proverbs. See how we're called to live responsibly with our finances. So stewardship, generosity, responsibility, and then the third one, friends, and this one, like the other ones are very practical and tangible, but this one might be the most practical of all of them. It's obedience. You wanna know who's at your gate that you're supposed to help? Talk to God about your money and about what's going on around you and ask him, where ought I to spend this? They're just core principles that I follow. I'm a tither. I save. I care for my family. I'm being responsible with my money. I'm considering all of that. But I'm also, I'm also consciously aware of him daily. What is he saying to me right here, right now in this moment? God, how would you have me honor you with these finances? I'm not supposed to, I, I can't even affect every single homeless person in this town or every single mission opportunity that there is. But there are specific people, specific instances that God will say, you go do that. When Amy and I were called to adopt our son, Micah, first of all, I resisted. She was ready and I wasn't, man. I fought it. I was like, eh, I'll, I'll pray about it is what I told her. She felt this strong sense like God was calling us to do that. And I, I literally said the words, I'll pray about it in my head. I was like, I ain't praying about that. I, like, this is your pastor. I'm just being honest. Like, I don't want to pray for that because I don't really want to hear the answer to that one. <laughs> and the Lord worked on me. He like worked on my heart. And it was like, okay, we're supposed to do this. And like, friends, just as honest and candid as I can be, like one of the biggest hangups for me was finances. I was making just a little under $40,000 a year at the time. And it was going to cost around 26 or 27 grand to adopt him from Ukraine. I'm like, <laughs> God, this is an easy decision. I don't have that. And I'm probably not going to have that in 10 years. Like, I don't have it. But the issue was obedience. Now, I didn't just wake up one day and go, I'm supposed to adopt every orphan on the planet. Like, or I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to No, it's like there was, a, there was a deep sense that God was saying, do this. And it was a matter of obedience. So I remember saying to him, Lord, if you're calling me to this, then I'm just trusting that you're gonna provide this money. And we watched over just a handful of months, everything we tried to do to make the money appear ourselves, like, oh, we'll do this, this uh, you know, we'll, we'll save up and do, um, you know, a yard sale, a bake sale, we'll do these fundraisers. Like, it, we never got anything from that. Like, really minuscule, like, pennies but all these crazy ways money started showing up to us. A company I'd worked for previously, like I had stopped working there like three years prior, just randomly out of the blue one day, I get a letter in the mail. Hey, when you were working here, you were part of this profit sharing thing. And when you left, like we never gave you the money we owed you. And so here's 3,500 bucks right there. 
Some friends of ours that lived in Texas called and said, hey, we told our church y'all were adopting those kids and we all just decided to get together and do a yard sale. We're sending a couple grand your way from a bunch of people that have never met you in Texas. Like over and over again, we just started seeing it. And so we start this like nine month process of adopting my son and several months before we had to go get him, we had all the money. It was unbelievable. Guys, this is not a story about me. I was stubborn, resistant, fearful, all of it. I struggled through the whole thing. This is a story about him and his faithfulness. And if we will trust him with our finances, he comes through. It's, such, it's a practical way to do what we say we do, which is trust him with our whole lives. I'm trusting him with my eternal salvation and I won't trust him with my bank account. Trust him. He's a good king. Let's learn to have the mindset of a steward. Let's practice generosity. Let's be responsible and let's be obedient to what he calls to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I acknowledge that this is a strong word. And Lord, I acknowledge that this confronts me. God, I have been convicted, even in recent weeks, about my mindset and my finances. And so, Lord, I've already said privately, but I say publicly, I'm sorry. Thank you that you forgive. Thank you that you're merciful. You're patient. Thank you for a fresh start. So, Lord, our our prayer collectively this morning, Lord, is that you would help us wrestle through these questions. Lord, that when we consider that question, who's the boss, that more and more regularly in our lives, we can honestly say, you are. You're the boss. I'm just a steward. Lord, as we look at how we acquire money, that we would be honorable businessmen, owners, employees, we be honorable in how we acquire money, that we would prioritize people, and that even as we're acquiring it, we would realize it's for your purposes, not our own. And Lord, as we reflect on the question of how do we spend or manage our money, that we would do it based on the principles you've taught us, that we trust you with it, that we'd be generous with it, that we would be responsible and we'd be obedient to the things you call us to do with it. God, we need your help with this. And we thank you that you are our help. That by your grace, we can live like this. Thank you for the joy and the freedom that comes in positioning ourselves as stewards, not kings. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.